everybody. Welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. I'm Kevin Mazza. I'm Anna Ryan. And today we're going to talk about uh, mental health. We've talked about this a lot before uh, on this show, and now we're going to continue the conversation. Uh, specifically, we're going to gear this toward uh, EMTs and medics and responders, um, and we're going to kick it over to Anna to start running our conversation. So Anna, talk to us about how we can better prepare ourselves for a, I guess, better mental health as providers in the field. So we've talked a bunch about this uh, in general, about how the stigma kind of surrounds mental health and how it's uh, kind of seen as a weakness and not really, you know, something that's going to happen to us eventually and that kind of thing. Um, So I want to talk a little bit more about how it is that we're going to support ourselves uh, after trauma and who we can talk to and why it's okay to do that. Okay. Um, So the first thing I really want to bring to light is part of a uh, traumatic exposure and part of like what your brain does or what your like the, the chemical kind of imbalance that happens that causes you to think that you're not worthy of help um lets you feel like the people around you don't want to hear it okay so it's important for you to be able to identify your support system who it is around you that like even if you feel like you're uh intruding on them or you know causing them more grief than you feel like you're you're worthy of doing Mm -hmm. uh these people are willing to hear you out so So is there any criteria that people should have in general to i guess establish who their support system is or is it just kind of whoever works for you in that in that setting it's mostly just who works for you in the in the setting uh there are you know some people who are distinctly not interested in your in your mental well-being you know if you come up to say hey listen man i'm having a, a real hard time with things and the answer is like, well, man, so am I. Like, you know, and they start like, <laughs> everyone's got oh, problems, that bro. That helps. <laughs> I had it's a rough not... day. Well, let me tell you about my day, and yeah. maybe you won't feel so right. bad about yours. And like, that's not that's not a healing environment. That's not something that, like, you know, in that moment where you're asking for help, which is also a vulnerability point. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability point. Words. That was good. Words are hard. Yeah, words it. are difficult. <laughs> um, but once you're asking for help, that was six syllables. What was it? Six? Did yeah, you count them? I counted them. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, so many, so many. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but being able to 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 come forward like that is more of a strength, and it's one of those things where you may feel vulnerable in the moment. In the moment, I can't say it again. I'm not going to do it. You again. got it. It's fine. Um, but having someone compare their experience to yours just means that they're more interested in their healing than yours. If that makes any sense, absolutely. Okay, so I, I think something. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. I think something that people are bad at writ large is just understanding not so much that you're looking for a comparison, but that's you know I need someone to witness my experience right now, right? And just like, hey, that was I. I just got off a really shitty call. I just need you to sit there for a couple minutes and just go through it. Mm-hmm. And I think people will try to identify with the person they're talking to mm-hmm. by saying I had a similar experience or my experience was worse. And I think that that's, you know, how people relate to each other is, you know, variable. And if if the way that I relate to your feeling is by comparing it to my feelings, then that's something that's, you know, that's a human nature kind of response. But right. when it becomes something that overtakes what it is that you're experiencing, then it's not helpful. So, you know, your bad day, you had a really bad call, I want to run it through you, uh, run, it, run it through with you. Um, and I respond with, you know, well, I've had a bad call before and let me tell you about that one. And then it was this, this, and this afterwards. And also I had this for lunch today. And then I had like, you know, <laughs> cheeseburgers are dead cows. Like it's just, when it delineates, it doesn't, it's, it's not helpful anymore. Right. So it, do you think that at a, I guess on a grander scale, it would be better to have a support system that is involved in EMS or generally it would be better to have someone who maybe is a little bit more detached from the industry? So I actually think that, um, 
being in healthcare or not being in healthcare is not important. Okay. I think that once we have uh, an understanding of emotion, both from personal experience and then from like clinical breakdown, uh, my experience in trauma is rooted in a certain, you know, a, a, a specific emotion. Mm-hmm. So if I'm having a um, a frustrated response, that frustration is rooted in anger. You know what anger is because you've also experienced anger. So right. whether or not you were on the call with me or if it was something that, you know, you've experienced uh, with me, it's still something that you would understand because you've experienced an anger uh, response as well. Mm-hmm. So... If you're not in healthcare, if you are in healthcare, either way, we have these core emotions that will express themselves basically the same. Right. So it's really more just about finding a group of people that put up with you. <laughs> <laughs> if you can tolerate me for ten minutes, you are my support system. But, and like I, I realize, like that comes off as glib, but uh, that's we all have some type of group of people that tolerate us for whatever reason, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. And I think that it's very difficult. First of all, I think it's difficult to talk about any problems that people are having because being vulnerable is very hard. Right. Right. Well, so taking being the, vulnerable is vulnerable. Yeah. So taking the time to say like, like, listen, I'm not having a great time with this. This is very problematic for me mm-hmm. is hard in the first place. Um, I wonder if it's difficult for people just in general, you know, they think like, you know, my group of people, my friends have a, you know, certain perspective or idea of me and how I operate. And this is difficult for me to come across. Is that something that you think that people run across or is that just something I'm making up in my mind? Um, maybe a little both. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, you know, we, we personify ourselves, uh, with, you know, our own mental image of who we are and what we do and how we handle things. Uh, and then we, you know, being in contact with different people in our lives, we, um, kind of project different people in ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, on the truck and I'm a paramedic, then I am, you know, I'm the leader of the group and I am uh, a healer and I am, (laughs) I'm the wizard. I am a healer. (laughs) I am a healer. Look at my hands. I don't know why that's the thing. Why is it that voice? Why is it it evil witch? It's very evil, like, (laughs) (laughs) why is it an evil witch? Why can't it just be an old witch? I mean, because like good witches. Are you assuming my my age? Are you ages? No, because good witches sound like, hello, look at my hands. And like evil witches sound like, hello, look at my hands. So I just, I'm just following your cue. I feel like a good witch would never ask you to look at her hands. I, mean, I guess that's it's possible. Yeah. She doesn't so, care. She's a, she's a good witch. So as as a group, like Kevin, <laughs> is there any specific way that you try to identify your support system overall, or is it just something that's there for you? I'm going to take a little bit of a different road here. I think in my personal experience, I would prefer to have people who aren't in healthcare as at least some part of my group to lean on, because a lot of the times when I'm under duress, like the because we all experience it together, right? Every EMS has right, and they may not even know they're doing it. Like we're talking about, like. Hey, dude, I had a, like a really rough day. Can I talk to you about it? And their first thing to do is deflect to how bad their day was. I think that's a problem across EMS in general, where if you have somebody who isn't in it, like in the industry, they're just kind of like they're. I think they're more inclined to listen because one, they may have some passive interest in medicine and they're right. curious about your day, or they can. We we kind of galvanize ourselves against arrest, right? So we see it in each other. And we think, ah, eh, that's really not so bad. But to an average layperson who isn't in in healthcare. They can tell we're we're distressed and we want to talk about this. And mm-hmm. I think you get a little bit better response out of people who aren't healthcare providers already. I think that some of the the people who aren't in healthcare though tend to see our experiences in like in detail as something that traumatizes them. So like you know, oh my god, yesterday <laughs> I had to, and I always go, I hate the fact that like everyone kind of like reverts to like we had a dead baby because it's the absolute worst thing that can happen to you. Sure. But like the 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 anger response that happens when we have like an abused grandma. Or, you know, an abused child or, you know, a neglected grandpa or whatever it is. 
But if I have that experience and you're not in healthcare, you've never seen that before. It's going to be one of those like, oh my god, how do you deal with that? I think I think part of it is you have to you have to be very careful who you identify for your support group who isn't a healthcare provider already. Someone who you know can handle the kind of handling your trauma with you because part of sharing it is here. I'm going to offload some of this. Uh, can you share the burden with me? And especially with what we do as EMS providers, that's really, really difficult to find someone to do that. But if you can, I think that person's more invaluable than having, you know, a couple healthcare providers who well, it depends on what day they're going to be there and support you or they're going to tell you how bad their day was. Good point. So I think this is, this is a debate that I've had with myself internally for at least as long as I've been in medicine. And I, I tend to think for me, um, Talking to people that aren't necessarily involved in the industry is a little bit easier for me than talking to people who are in the industry. Due in part to the conversation almost universally turns into like, I had a worse call or I had a worse incident than you did. Yeah, it's that subconscious, can you top this? Right, and it turns into this Because we're competitive people. Right. And and this thing, it it turns into this, you know, this pissing contest between, you know... Well, listen, like I had a really bad arrest. It's like, well, one time, like it turns into like, well, listen, I, you know, I had a, I had a 14 year old cardiac arrest and it was really hard. And it's like, yeah, well, one time I had a 13 year old cardiac arrest. Right. Like, that's why, that's cool. why I think, that's why was I think it traumatic so for difficult. you too? I, really, tell me your story instead. That's definitely why right. I think it's more difficult to find a, a, a good support system in, as a fellow healthcare provider. So my support system includes my wife, who's a healthcare provider, my best friend, Michael, who's not here with us today, who's a healthcare provider, but they get, when I'm like, hey, I need to talk about this, they know when it's like, okay, I'm going to sit and listen. Right. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that your best friends are not in this room. While I know. The two people closest. I want you all to suffer knowing the two people closest to my heart are not in this room. I feel good. It's you know what? I got I got a Facebook tag. So oh. I know I'm already on that list. Uh, I don't, we fancy. About <laughs> you don't know me. Dan, Dan, what do you think about support structures? Um, I think they're individual. I think it depends on the level of trust you have with that person. Um, you know, I tend not to share with coworkers. Um, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. Is it you don't share like negative job experiences with coworkers or let me let me jump in. So the two people who in healthcare close to me are not coworkers at this point for me. So I think that right with you is a a huge plus, like not direct coworkers. Um Well so that's relevant that we're we're talking about people in healthcare and not so much direct yeah, coworkers with you all the time. Yeah, I think that's a good I think that's an important distinction to make. Right. I I think um I think for me personally um you know I I I lean towards my wife. I mean, I think she's, you know, my partner in pretty much everything and you know, when I'm having rough times or I come home and have a bad call, I mean she is there for me. She listens. She doesn't always, you know, I don't know how well the medical knowledge is, right. you know, and I, and I don't, we don't talk about that. We talk about the feelings. We talk about, you know, wow, you know, I was really nervous on this call because I really knew I had to do things the right way, or I was really focused on this point, or I was scared at this point. Right. Um, I don't know that it needs to get into the, you know, the clinical aspect of it, because if it's a clinical aspect, I can talk to somebody on a clinical perspective and sure. I can depersonalize it and say, well, you know, hey, here's a case presentation. What do you think? Well, and that's kind of the thing. This isn't really so much a, a clinical discussion. And, and that's why I say, like, I I don't know that I discuss these things with, you know, with EMS people terribly well at all. I do think to some element the human experience is universal, mm-hmm. which I realize how metaphysical that sounds. That's no, it's, a, it's, it's, but, you know, it's it natural. In, it it turns sense. into like, yes. I, this, this experience happened to me. 
I had a rough call, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And, you know, like two of my best friends who aren't in the room, Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> like they, they work in television. So, you know, having conversations with them about how, you know, medicine works, I explaining the clinical stuff doesn't work. But if no. I say like, you know, I had, I had this job and it went particularly poorly because of, you know, systemic operational failure, they can identify it as like, oh, well, you know, I know one time at my work this happened and this is how I felt about it. So it's almost like an indirect kind of comparison mm-hmm. where, but it's not the... Like the empathy's there, it's just on different understandings. Right. Yeah, okay. it's, it's not like the, you know, they're not contesting the whole thing or like, or, you know, disregarding like, oh, well, you had a rough job and it was bad and so did I, but I was worse off because I've had two of them. Mm. You know, it's, it's not that kind of thing. So let's go back to the idea that the human experience is a universal uh, experience. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I just ran out of I, words I and watched, I'm like, well, there's I, one left. I just watched you talk yourself into that corner as you said experience. And I'm like, oh, man, what I just say? So, yeah, there, I'm stuck now. So <laughs> the program that uh, that I teach is uh, loosely based on uh, Robert, Robert Pluchek's, and I probably said his name Good wrong. Good name. Right? Yeah. Um, and he's he only spells it one way, but I spell it six. So... <laughs> <laughs> But he came up with a uh, the, the emotional wheel. So it's uh, eight core emotions that kind of stem off into everything else that we would describe. So okay. anything from surprise to fear to anger to, you know, whatever else um, kind of stems off into awe and lust and, you know, fear and like that kind of stuff. Okay. So the idea that even if you have someone in healthcare or you have someone out of healthcare, the the idea is that all of us have these eight core emotions, no matter what. They're ev- um, they're evolutionary. They are there to protect us, and typically all of them are negative. We have two that are super positive, right? Um, but like, and and it's two opposite sides of the spectrum. So we have all of these negative emotions because we don't want to be hurt or physically maimed or you know mentally traumatized or whatever it is. Um, so we protect ourselves using them, and then we have these two really great ones that you know have like maybe like six or seven delineations and that's like it so in general our emotions are here to protect us um and the experience for uh any human kind of in society and that's why like the basis of this is kind of i hope it's going to go um is that even if you are talking to someone who is in healthcare or isn't in healthcare they have experienced all of these emotions as well okay in one form or another so, so it's it's more just sense. identifying that people feel a certain way about things period Right. As so, opposed to like, instead of saying like, I feel this way about a cardiac arrest and someone else might feel this way about something else that happens at their work. It's mm-hmm. just, I felt bad. It sounds yeah. more natural. It is. And yeah. it's, it's So the way that we teach it is to, we, we, we tell people to name the emotion. I had okay. this cardiac arrest happen and it was, it was tragic. Well, you've had something tragic happen in your life as well. So how did that make you feel? Mm-hmm. So instead of relating to the idea that I had to code grandpa in his living room for 45 minutes before I told his wife of 90 years that, she, that he's dead... Um, I can say this made me sad and you have been sad too. Therefore we can relate. Okay. So if you're talking to people who aren't in healthcare, Mm -hmm. um, I I think we, we kind of speak, you know, in, you know, in sweeping gestures about like people that don't get it. Um, so how would someone who's not in healthcare, I guess, perceive this type of conversation? Or how, or how it, you know, if someone we think just generally doesn't understand what we're talking about, how does that translate to another person in general? I think it's just through the emotional familiarity okay. of it. Is that you know, 
again, I felt terrified. Well, I went to this haunted house once and I was terrified too. So. <laughs> One time I was scared of a ghost. But the idea is that if you've experienced this emotion, the conversation is supposed to gear itself towards how to get to the opposite of it. Okay. So if I'm having an anger response, how do I get to being calm? How, you know, if I'm having a joyful response, how do I stay in that place? You know, mm. how if I if I'm having a fearful response, where's the root of that, and how do I get to, you know, serenity or whatever it is? So right, you don't have to know why. Exactly, you just have to know what. Yes. Like, you know, my wife Jennifer, like she's a French teacher. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know a ton of medicine, but she knows emotion. But she knows that if I have this and I come home and I was scared about something, she gets that. Right. You and know, she gets you, and that's more of the more If of the I was point. frustrated on something, she gets it. She's shaking her head at me like, <laughs> it's, I um, never understand I you. Don't, my concentration I don't get is blown. You. I do not get you. I don't, but maybe I don't know what this means yes, for our relationship. <laughs> I, I just nod and say yes, dear. <laughs> yeah, maybe just, that's another point to make about the idea of a support system is that these should be people that know you as you. So you and Jen have been married for how long? Get it right. Oh. She's Get it staring right. at me. Oh God. Um. Get it right. Twenty-two years. There it is. There was signals that, in the yes. back. Yes. So <laughs> I, I did you, the thing. You may live one more day, Daniel. Oh, good for you. Wow. No couch boy. for you. I felt really tense. <laughs> but the idea is that for twenty-two years, Fearful. she has been in exactly. a relationship with you. She's talked with you intimately. You guys have been through thick and thin. You know, rich and poor, that kind of stuff. Right. She's so seen me at my best. She's seen me at my worst. Exactly. I've. I've She's the only one in the world that I've shared every bit of my deep, dark, deepest, darkest fears, my hopes, my dreams. She's my partner and everything. Now, take your take your worst call. Was she there with you for that? She wasn't there with me. Did she walk you Thankfully. through Thankfully. But yes, we've discussed those. Every I, I have about, I have a closet of a bed in my head of about five calls that are the worst of my life. Okay. And I don't want to go into them. No, no, no. I don't want to, it's not about me. She's been there with me for every one of them afterwards um and it's safe to say that for for her being there for you and for the familiarity that she has with you having relating to seeing how the emotion plays out for you and relating that emotion to how she would feel it kind of helps you get through whatever it is that you're getting through absolutely there you go that support system that's what carries me through well, so in another essential component to having a support system, aside from just having a group of people there, it's important to have a group of people that don't necessarily mind you coming to them for these things. Right. Right. Which I understand. It, it's it's easy to say, like, I have a support system and it's implied that those people are there. But I don't know if that's always the case, um, especially, you know, depending on how long you've known people. Or, like, no, that's what, a big thing because, yeah. you, you know, you, you don't want to feel like it's a burden on them. Right. Because, you know, there are, there are people that just go like, oh, fine, all right, let's talk. Like, what is it now? Well, I think, uh, Dan, <laughs> actually, know, that, the, that's, that's bad. To kind of go off the segue from what you just said, I think a lot of the times we feel like we're burdening other people by even bringing it up. So if your support system feels burdened, but I guarantee you that most people feel burdened even asking somebody to listen. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know? Uh, I think sometimes we do feel that. And, and I think because we bog into the minutia of the call itself, and like Anna says, we don't share the emotion. Yeah, for for me personally, when I rerun rerun one of these calls through my head, I mask the the emotional feeling I get. Is I drown in like, well, did I do everything right clinically? Because I can at least make myself feel better if I feel like I did a good job clinically. Never mind, you know, dead babies or grandmas or whatever, because right. that's always what it is. But you run through the clinical side, you're like, ah, but you know what? At least I did my job right. Well, that's interesting because I, I, I think we all kind of do that to an extent. I think we, 
I don't I don't want to say mask. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but we I think to to an extent we look at the objective portion of something and say like you know what like this is a really terrible you know it, usually it's an arrest or trauma. It's like this is a really terrible thing. And then you run through, like, instead of, like, this, you know, the patient looked like a friend of mine or it looked, you know, in patients who have kids, like, especially if it's, you know, you have a, an unfortunate, you know, child pronouncement, mm. um, you know, pediatric trauma. And, you know, you're, it reminds you of your life. We kind of fall back on that as a crutch and say, like, you know, well, all right, objectively, at least I did these things. And we can kind of rely on that. Or, like, you know, and maybe it's to talk ourselves out of, you know, did I do something right or wrong? Mm-hmm. But we can just say, like, oh, I did, I did this right. So whatever was happening you know, I, is what I did. I did the best I could. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's different levels of support system. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, there are people that I'll go to and go, God, I had a really crappy call. And, you know, I thought that this was the plan. You know, this was my initial plan and this is what happened. And it went, it went sideways here. And this was my plan B. And what do you think? Does that, did that make sense to you? Right. And, you know, that's kind of a, it's a good thing to get that, um, trying to think what the um validation exactly the validation like hey you know what clinically your your decision making was sound your your intentions were honorable here i would have done the same thing or you know maybe i wouldn't have done the same thing but i saw where you were going right but from a visceral level from the emotional level that person is not somebody i'm going to go to about you know oh i was scared oh it was this or i was like you know well so this might be the key then your support structure might be better it might be beneficial to have you know a mix of people that are, you know, clinically on the same page as you like are, tiered. and then also are, you know, personally on the same page. As Almost you are. like a sure. tiered response, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I have I have a lower level that I will engage for, you know, even just that debriefing after a call, like, hey, this went well, this went smooth. How can we improve? Right. To I may go back to somebody that I have a confidant relationship at work, like a partner, like, you know, how do you think we did on that, really? And then. I'm going to come home and I'm going to offload my emotion and offload my fears Mm -hmm. to that person that matters. That's going to listen to those emotions. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah, no. Yeah. I I just think that it's something that we, and again, it's something that we talk about all the time on the show where it's just not something that we do particularly well. Um, I think, I think maladjustment is a profession for for most of us. Um, (laughs) You know, why we're so that side hustle? I feel attacked. I don't like it. <laughs> that's, that's my side hustle. I'm a, I'm a medic Monday through Friday, but on the weekends, I maladjust. Yeah, it's <laughs> how I do it. Nice. Right. I just got like the Barry White moan in my head. <gasps> oh yeah, maladjustment. All right. All right, Anna, what's next on that? So I want to also talk about the uh, the presence of trauma and how the after effects of that can lie to us. Okay. So we can sit here uh, around the table and talk about how, you know, you can talk to anybody and it's all about emotion or whatever it is. But post-traumatic or post-trauma changes your brain physiologically and it changes the the chemical receptors. You say nope. No, I am saying nope. Uh, You can't do that. And I'm agreeing with you a thousand percent. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was like, I don't know what happened. (laughs) I got derailed. Um, So... Physiologically, your brain changes, especially if you're exposed to something over time, Mm -hmm. uh, over and over again. So that changes how your chemical receptors kind of act and communicate and that kind of thing. So the resulting depression or anxiety or the combination of both can tell your can tell your uh, like can tell you essentially that talking to someone is not going to work or that you're not worthy. So the question then is, how is it that you 
work through that message to still get to your support system because then it becomes something that, you know, isolates you. Right. So this is something that you're saying that if a provider is experiencing post-traumatic stress, like part of the issue is to, I guess, working on the issue themselves before they get into their support structure or is it a kind of a combination, like a, a two-pronged approach? I think it's more recognizing that the feeling that you're getting that talking to somebody is going to be putting on them or something or you're going to be putting somebody out or right. you're not worthy of the help is a lie. So I think that's a big deal. I think that's something that, again, as as an industry, we tend to feel... I, I do think that we often feel put upon mm-hmm. when people come to us with their problems. And I think that as such, we tend to think that we're putting upon others when it's just like, dude, I just need five minutes of your time. Like, right. Uh, this, you know, I think let's, the, let's, the let's grab a cup of coffee and scream into the void for <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> every single morning. I think that's... that's <laughs> and try and, try and like, We check the truck and now we check the void and now we're good. <laughs> But I think that that's more of a cultural aspect. Instead, it, like what I'm talking about is more of like the internal struggle. Okay. So I am, I am, and I've said it before. I'm uh, diagnosed with depression. Right. I have an anxiety disorder. Uh, whether or not that's something that happened, you know, over the course of my life or just because I got into EMS, who knows? There's not oh, like a time stamp on help. It's probably. I mean, maybe it's, both. Well, I it's mean, I, it's tough for those things to find a causative factor too, and right. you know, especially as you know you grow and age and develop like it, it things change over time so in that factor then if i'm going to first of all we have to kind of accept the fact that the trauma has happened and you're not the same person and we've talked about right. that before on another episode uh but in this case the condition itself tells you that while you know and while we're put upon by other people and it's hard for us to kind of reach out the condition tells you that you're not worthy of reaching out anyway. No one's going to want to help you. No one's going to want to listen. Yep. There's nothing that you're going to say that's going to be interesting enough for people to think that you're in trouble. Right. Uh, yep. And the stuff that you're going to say, people aren't going to get, quote unquote, if you yep. can see the quotey fingers. Absolutely. Um, so that aspect of things, while the cultural part in EMS says that we are not, you know, we shouldn't be asking for help because it makes us weak and it makes us vulnerable and we can't be heroes that way. Uh, the... <laughs> The condition itself tells us that we're unworthy, and I I want to talk about how we as individuals and then how we as a, as a, as a as an industry can start to kind of negate that lie. We do an awful job with we it. Do a terrible we, job. We just we <laughs> we're just absolutely awful. We're, do a we're horrendous bad, job. We're not we bad people though. I love you. Because what we have we still haven't recognized that this stuff changes you and it it plays tricks on you. It yeah. does things. I mean, I had a, I was involved in a, you know, member of service death and, um, you know, it was, it was, it hit pretty close to home and I did everything right. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a long time to realize that I did everything right. Um, at the time I thought I screwed up. I thought I made a mistake. I thought I didn't pick up on things. I didn't do this right. And it was all my brain telling me this stuff. At the same time, my brain was telling me, you can't share this with anybody. You can't tell anybody this. You can't you can't be honest about this. I mm-hmm. went to the debriefing. I sat there. I got called out in the debriefing like, hey, do you want to share? You know, you, maybe you should talk about how you feel. And I just remember sitting there numb, like not, not like my brain literally telling me. And I knew, and it wasn't a psychotic break. Don't get me wrong. Sure. I was with reality. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. This is not that. This is your brain's chemistry telling you you're messed up. 
Yeah, and this is this is the emotional defense too. And and you can't talk about this and you can't share with this and nobody understands this and nobody's going to get you. Mm -hmm. And even my support system in this failed because on my end because I didn't share and I didn't address it and I didn't talk about my fears or how I felt or you know, it's it's a really really messed up thing and we don't address it. So working through the the disorder actually, you know, lying to you and, and kind of misleading you, is that something that people get through just over time or is there, you know, self-help techniques you can kind of work through to like work through those type of things? I think we're learning that there are. I think there's things that are out there now. I think the, you know, the, the program, the first program is something that's a start. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of things out there um, that can help you address it and deal with it. Um, I think it's a multidisciplinary thing. I think trauma, uh, mental trauma and psychological trauma is multi-system trauma in a different way. It affects chemistry differently and we have to look at it for multidisciplinary. It's an inoculation with first. Um, It's yoga for first responders, that program, you know, putting things out where you can learn to deal with stress and you can learn to clear your mind and, and focus on yourself and, yeah, we got to talk about psychotherapy and we've got to talk about medication because, you know, short term, we can stop these people from these providers from rewiring themselves and being stuck for an entire lifetime dealing with this. Right. So let's talk about this, the fear of not being a hero thing, because I think that's something that's sort of indoctrinated into us sort of early on Mm -hmm. where, you know, part of our uniform is our tack pants, our polo shirt and our cape. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I use so, my cape to shine my badge. Yeah. <laughs> it's attached. My stethoscope is actually the neck chain. Um, my, my cape has Molly on it. Uh, of course it does. Of course it does. Yeah, why wouldn't it? So, but I, I, is that so? So is that something at the introductory level that we have to start kind of coaching people? Who are like, listen, this is not. You're not in this to be a hero. You're in this to. Oh, you know, I to agree. Help a thousand percent. I, I agree a thousand percent. The, I, I think one of the things we need to do is get away from the hero mentality right. of being good people who want to do good things for people. And occasionally that aspi- that inspires us to do heroic acts. I'm going to disagree. Yeah? Um, yeah, I'm going to go against you. All right, go against I'm me. ready. So I fight think me. that in order... Fight me in public. <laughs> <laughs> That's I how we solve our problems. Straight Let me give Pokemon three, two, one. Yard. <laughs> so I think that keeping a little bit of heroism in initial uh, certification is necessary because it's how we keep people engaged. There's not a single person okay. who got into EMT class to be like, I can't wait to get up at three o'clock in the morning for the stub toe. Yay. I don't know why you got into EMT class, but that was absolutely a motivator. Listen, for me. I'm not here to kink shame you, man. That's all. <laughs> that's <laughs> whatever you're into. <laughs> Hashtag kink shame. How did that become a trending thing on our I show? No it was idea. It a kink shaming thing. No idea. Next t-shirt. Just <laughs> Hashtag kink shame. But I think that, so I think that the, the little bit of heroism has to be kind of in there. But I think we have to change the lexicon to be you're a hero and you can't be anything else. It has to be you're a hero and you have to look after yourself first. Okay. So you have to combine yeah. the two things. I'll buy that. I think that's I think that's really important. But being a hero is also about doing the right thing. Right. But even Superman has kryptonite. 
yeah, but uh, and Captain America has things too. But I mean, you want to go through the Marvel the Marvel universe? I'm listen, so ready. I'm a Marvel guy. Wait, I'm not, you, no, 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 no. We're not going to no, go. Like, go oh, the, she started with DC, so we can't go into the Marvel universe. Boo! She has Boo. an entire bathroom Shame. dedicated to Batman. I do she have really an entire bathroom. That means all right, but I'm. You know what? We're gonna put we're gonna put those pictures in the show notes. He's not the This will be a fight for later. But. There's a picture of of uh, Batman on the toilet taking a shit. I think. <laughs> so. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this from another. I'm gonna go from the other side on this. Okay. I'm gonna say, I think by by us encouraging the idea of heroism, mm-hmm. this this nebulous idea of you know, it, it's sending people the wrong message. Okay. And instead, I think we need to indoctrinate our our new people coming into the profession, our new generations, that what you're doing is honorable. Mm-hmm. The, the the core focus of being a hero is being honorable, is doing the right thing, is being the example. When you get up at three o'clock in the morning to help that little old lady out back into her bed, that's honorable. Sure. That is heroic. Okay. True heroism, I mean, you want to talk about heroism of, you know, walking into the towers on 9-11, knowing you're probably not getting out, but you're going to rescue as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. That's true heroism. So you're talking about heroism as we're presenting it now. So honorable heroism or toxic heroism? I think we've gotten to toxic heroism. I think oh, so absolutely. Yeah. I mean, speaking strictly off the cuff here, I think we've actually turned the word hero into a, like a slang and derogatory term amongst ourselves. Oh, we absolutely. Oh, totally. So, but, but, God. And, and oh, that's, God, yes. and it's that's, true, and I, it makes me upset at, at points because I'm also guilty of it. Like, you know, look at this hero over here with his tack belt. Like, you're going to yeah. sneak up on the diabetes there, bud? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, at the same time, like, ready. that guy's there for the same reasons I am, I hope. Right. Like, uh, like Dan said, I think we need to... Uh, I want to say, like, I want to get away from the term being a hero because I feel like being a hero is like going in the towers, going above and beyond the, simply the call of duty. The call of duty is being an honorable. We're here to be honorable people and do honorable mm. things. Every once in a while, we do a heroic act. So I'm gonna, and I think a- that's hurting us mentally. I think sure. this this this, yeah. unre- this unreasonable standard that the in the back of our mind alone. we're we're never going to to meet that standard. We're always trying to meet that standard. Maybe we just try to be honorable. Well, but I also wonder, like, how much of this is something that we've done to ourselves as an industry? Because all we, of it. Because we talk about... Oh, God, we you know, self-inflicted. Yeah. Well, no, but like, we, we talk about the, the heroism thing kind of becoming a self-parody when we have organizations that will advertise, like, come join our organization, come be a hero. Yeah, be a hero. Right, but I think we also, to an extent kind of put out these impossible standards for things too like just in this conversation we've referenced 9-11 workers as like the the kind of ultimate hero figure which is fine there's nothing wrong with that but i think that there's a lot that we have to talk about like is there it's it's is there an element of heroism being that person on that 3 a.m call for someone who just didn't generally feel well like do we have to kind of romanticize this heroism thing so much and if we are is that actually causing more damage than it's doing good i think the problem is the word the heroism thing has already been romanticized and then as a result of that we've turned it into a self-parodying slang term i think we need to use different nomenclature i like the idea mm-hmm. of an honorable profession i Honor. think okay. Yeah. yeah, I think instead of everyone trying to be an emperor, we should have more samurais kind of thing. Like everyone Ooh. should be like kind of zen, Ooh, honor, and like know their like their place and have like some perfect self peace rather than trying to be in control of everything and think even of their own emotions. And then mm-hmm. being that's like being a hero is like a standout. But if if everyone's doing the honorable thing in their role, I feel like you it's strive still for very, honor. We try self fulfilling. Listen, 
I, you know, you want to strive for honor. You treat every patient the way you'd want your family member treated. Right. right. We treat them with respect. We treat them with dignity. That means they get the blanket. That means we cover them up when they're naked. We we don't treat them like a piece of meat or something else that, that matters or, or that doesn't matter in our world. We respect the lowest of our population because that's the oath we took. I actually think that we're starting to stumble into this other aspect of our culture where we haven't addressed our own abilities for our access to emotional intelligence. Okay. So if you're, you know, you want to treat everybody with dignity and how your 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 family would be treated, you get the blanket. You do a therapeutic uh, intervention, touch, talk, whatever it is. That's something that you have experienced on your own. Mm-hmm. This is something how you would want to be treated. Correct. So if that's how you want to be treated, and you hold, you've held yourself up to this like toxic hero uh, heroism, then how do you make two meet? And if honorability is the way to do that, then how do we start to teach that in the I think we start from the indoctrination from the day one in the EMT class. I think we start with first responders. I think we start with our EMTs and say, look, this is what you're striving for, honor. Mm -hmm. Honor will drive you to heroism. I think it's also important to point out that the the term heroism or the term hero is isolating in and of itself. Correct. Yeah. It's a, a hero is one person generally or a team if you're like, you know. Justice League, if we're staying on the DC thing. Yeah, let's stay on DC. God. Well, here's a team of heroes. But a team of heroes, like, they kind of... Avengers is better. The the sum... They become greater than the sum of their parts when you have a team of honorable people or a group of heroes. They become an honorable team, Mm -hmm. right? Right. They're greater than the sum of their parts. So two honorable paramedic partners become better than than two hero paramedics. Correct. So I I I think toxic heroism has overtaken our identity as being an honorable profession or a noble and I profession. Think, and I think we're getting back to where we were going with this. I think that idea of toxic heroism has damaged our psyche collectively mm-hmm. to the point where we're seeing more of this, this post-traumatic stress, more of this because we have this unreasonable ideal of what we have to achieve and what we should have done. And we measure ourselves unrealistically. Yes. Sure. And it keeps us from being able to reach out when we're struggling. Right. Because, and then it, oh my and God, I can't, I'm a hero, I'm infallible. Right. And then you give up and you say, and worse, then you give up and we've seen these people and everybody who's listening, you know three or four of these people, I'm going to tell you right now, Even if you the are people alone. who don't give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody's bullshit. Every call is garbage. Everything <laughs> is a waste of my time. I'm better than all of this. And we've all seen that. I, you know, the people who like, yeah, we don't want to be bothered with this call. Like, you don't want to be on the next call. Mm. Why are you, why are you worrying about this? You you don't care about, you're like, well, we got to get going. We got to do things. That's, that's, but there, right there's your toxic heroism. This call is beneath me. I'm I'm supposed to be doing something better. And I think that's damaging the psyche of all of our providers and especially at the entry level, because they have this unrealistic ideal of what this job really is, what we're getting them to do, what we expect from them. And then what's happening is they're not measuring up psychologically. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's what we're talking about when we talk like about having a kind of seed change in the way that we teach people this stuff from the beginning. Right. If you don't teach someone that like, hey, listen, you're going to go out like on the crazy motor vehicle accidents, you're going to go out like all these crazy traumas, all these, you know, people are going to people have heart attacks every day and you're the one who stands between life and death for them. If we start encouraging, like teaching them like, no, you're there for the 85 percent who have a boo boo tummy. 
mm-hmm. and have to get evaluated in ER or who have, you know, a hangnail and have to go like, you're, that's actually You're your there job. to reassure the parent that their four-year-old is in fact going to survive no matter what we do to them. Right. And think of the pressure that you're putting on yourself or like your other your other coworkers or whatever where it's like you're going to be the guy who stands between the patient and the grave like stop Whoa. pump to, the yeah, brakes stop telling we have to stop telling so this that. this gets into that idea we've, we we talked about this in the show prep like you know we have this misguided idea of strength mm-hmm. like being strong or healthcare being in, associated with strength and does this redefine everything should we be redefining it should we be looking at this as not that but just Good people with an honorable intent who want to help people. I think we're going to take the, the good people with the honorable intent who want to help people and can help themselves as someone who is strong. And that person is going to be more likely to get through a career without having issues. Right. And even if you do have issues, that's fine. It's the culture change that we have to shift to is that even if like, yeah, I'm, there's not going to be a single time where if someone gets onto an ambulance for a career and they come away unscathed. Well, and that's kind of the key thing is no. telling people like it's it, like we talked about this again before, like the whole like it's OK to not be OK thing mm-hmm. is not something that we teach or get the message across at least very well. Where it's like you're going you you have the privilege of going into a situation and seeing people at their worst mm-hmm. and then you get to deal with it. Yeah. And you then, have the privilege of being trusted. Right. At someone's worst moment in their life. Right. Which is like and that truly is a privilege. I was being a little bit more it's sarcastic, a, where it's like you have a privilege to walk into oh. you know, the worst of humanity. It's not a privilege, and then you have a, to you get to be a grief mop for it. It's an honor to be called to someone in their darkest moment, sure, and to be the one they turn to. Good point. It's 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 hum- it should be humbling, mm-hmm. and it's. But I think it's listen, honor. I mean, think about what we do. We walk into people's houses, and we've mm-hmm. all done this. We've had people hand us their children. Yeah. These are the people, they're, they're so desperate and so stressed and so scared that they will hand their child the most important thing in their life to a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal, sight unseen. Just walk yeah, in, look, like, do it. Outside, it. Outside, looking fix in, this baby. outside looking in, like, nobody would blink twice about seeing a mother hand her dead baby to a paramedic environment, like, that's what's supposed to happen. Right. But yet, here we are not even thinking as it happens and just reacting to the situation at no moment during that you're thinking at least in every situation like i'm going to be the hero today no everything i was oh your only thought is i'm going to do the best i can for this kid right now but let's talk about how that's half the picture so it's honorable for me to be able i'm i'm honored to be able to go into somebody's house and work on their child or save their mom or whatever it is and that's half of my job the other part of it is courage and if I'm going to talk about how strength has to be redefined, it has to be honor and courage. Right. I have to be courageous enough to say this affected me and I'm having this, uh, a problem with this. And at, oh, that's a great point. And at one yeah. point or another, this is going to take me to a, to a place where I'm the emergency now. Right. So and that now might, what? That right. might be the key thing because, again, that's not something that we talk about at all. At all. It's, you know, bravery and well, like courage, here we you know, do, all like, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, here we do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's, you know, the bravery running into the scene and doing whatever else. Right. But we also don't talk about the like emotional stress that it takes for a person to be like, bro, I'm not not okay. Yeah, we there's, talk about there's here, some stuff that's going on, and I, I'm not doing very well with it. We don't talk. We talk about courage and being courageous as an outside action. Right. Where like the inside action here is actually me being like, bro, like I'm I'm, I'm not sleeping, or I'm drinking more than I should be, or I've been right. thinking about suicide. Like that's big, and it yeah. stops your life. Oh, absolutely. 
And you have to be willing to, to accept the stop sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's, that's, that's more the, the courage. Maybe that's the heroic part. That is the uh, it's I think it's more the courageous part. I think those, I think say, the, look, the, the honorable right. action and the the cur- the courage to step out of that comfort zone makes you a hero. I yeah, I think that's a, that's a big point. Where like it you know, you sometimes you have to kind of be your own hero. Yeah. And you've got to be there for like we, we talked about support structures and all that kind of stuff and a lot of times it comes down to you have to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, and it's kind of a, you know, this tired time at this point, but it's like you have to be there for you before you can be there for anybody else. Right. And that's right. actually the action of putting that into action. Damn it. I'm saying the same <laughs> words twice. This is action, not action, action, action. Courageous, courageous. Do do. But maybe yeah, if we I start from the people coming into the profession. Mm-hmm. If we normalize it Genera- from the new blood out, sure. general generationally, we're going to see a victory over this. Yeah, let's, so. pl- let's plant some better seeds. Yeah, I think you, I think you plant better seeds. Word. That's not that's not as catchy as a catchphrase. Just do better, but I'm, I'm do better. I'm on plant board. Seeds. Plant better seeds. Plant better seeds. Plant better seeds. Do do, do better, better planting better seeds. Do, do better with courageous seeds. Heroically, <laughs> plant better seeds. Seeds plant, of plant courage. courage. Plant seeds. Heroes, hero seeds. All right, hero all, right. Seeds. All, right. all right, all right. That's so we've we've gone over a lot of stuff today. Mental health again is something we've talked about at length on this show. And get ready for um, more. And more there, of it. There will be plenty more as time goes on. Um, this is not something that we deal with uh, very well as an industry and it's something that we have to kind of open up the conversation on. So please let us know what you think about this. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Overrun Productions and at Overrun EMS on Twitter. You can find the show everywhere. You find all the podcasts and doing the things. And oh we have God, merch. Asked, and we have merchandise we have too. Merch. And I asked Alexa to play the most recent Overrun podcast and she did it. That that works. That's, wow. That's how nice of her. I'm going to go and uh, we're on Google, right? Yeah, we're Google on Google, Google Play. I'm going to go Absolutely. home and try my Google Home. She got and, it, and if you go to our nice. website and you click on the merch tab. You can now get merchandise. You can we get a pin. coffee cup. And a or shirt. a t-shirt. Or, or a, a onesie t-shirt. for your child. Or a onesie, onesie for your kid. <gasps> oh, now I need to oh. have a baby. I saw, now you I need a baby, do Kevin. Better I saw the onesies. onesie and I was like, maybe I'll get pregnant. Can we get, <laughs> <laughs> can we get to some dog clothing? <gasps> Ooh, we can look into it. Dog leashes. Dog collars. All right, we're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves. Okay, sorry. <laughs> all right, one all right. step at a time will take over the world. <laughs> for the look out, Weingart. We're coming for you. Oh, don't God. threaten him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's sorry. We're sorry. Please don't. <laughs> we're so sorry. We're <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Rookie world. Uh, <laughs> Rookie world. I'm so Rookie sorry. Rookie world. All right, for the overrun, I'm Ed Bowder. I'm Dan. I'm Kevin. I'm Anna. We'll talk to you next time. I get home safe, everybody.